Throughout the ages, the Church has recognized many special heroes of our Catholic faith. These holy men and women weren't just outstanding people of their time, they're models of holiness for our time. And each week at this time, EWTN Global Catholic Radio brings you Super Saints. And now, here are your hosts for Super Saints, Bob and Penny Lord. Hello, family, and welcome. We're Bob and Penny Lord, and the saint we want to share with you today, St. Robert Bellarmine, is a powerful saint of the Counter-Reformation. A brilliant follower of St. Ignatius of Loyola, he has been credited with being one of the most outspoken critics of the heresies of Martin Luther and John Calvin. He focused the church of his time on the true teachings of the Catholic faith contradicted by the Protestant Reformation. He's one of the powerful men the Lord sent to construct a suit of spiritual armor to defend his church in this crucial time of crisis. He was put in our midst in our great hour of need, and he fought valiantly to defend and protect the people of God. St. Robert was born in the picturesque mountain town of Montepulciano to Vincenzo Bellamino and Cynthia Cervini, Pope Marcellus II's half-sister, on the feast of St. Francis of Assisi, October the 4th, 1542. Although of the nobility, the family was poor. His parents soon discovered he was specially gifted by the Lord, along with his teachers, who could see he had the makings of a brilliant man. As his preferences always leaned toward the religious life, it was not a great surprise to his parents that he expressed a desire to join the Society of Jesus when the Jesuits opened a school in Montepulciano. The Society of Jesus had only been canonically accepted by Rome two years before he was born. A new order in the church, its founder Ignatius was active in the society until Robert was 14 years old. At an early age, Robert mastered the masters. He knew Virgil by heart, could play instruments, held his own in public debate. When he reached 17 years old, the Jesuits, seeing the great asset he would be to the Society of Jesus, said of him, He's the best of our school and not far from the kingdom of heaven. Robert, in love with all the schools stood for, wanted to join the Jesuits as a brother. His father was dead set against it, but he had a friend and ally in his mother. She had influence with the Pope who had influence with Vincenzo, and so Robert's father wrote to the general of the order, Father James Lainez, asking him to consider his son for their order in Rome. Father Lainez, as one of the original members of the Society of Jesus in 1537, along with Ignatius Loyola and Francis Xavier, officially formed the Society of Jesus. Although having received superlative reports about Father Bellamine, Father Lainez consented to Robert's father's terms, he wait one year before entering the Jesuits. However, when the year was up, Robert made his religious vows. He stayed at the mother house at the Jesu for a short indoctrination period, after which he was sent to the Roman college to begin his studies. During that time, he was able to acquaint himself with the lifestyle of the Society of Jesus. He not only found everything the Jesuits did to his liking, he loved spending time at the mother house, where he was able to walk through the rooms which had been the residence of the founder of the order, Ignatius of Loyola, who had not yet been canonized a saint as he was only dead four years. 
His instructors, seeing the brilliant and highly spiritual candidate he was, gave Robert Bellarmine special attention during his three years at the Roman College, and as soon as he finished studying philosophy, they sent him to Florence to teach. In addition to sending him because of his outstanding ability, as he was not well, they hoped the climate would bring back his health. The following year, appearing strong, they sent him to Mondovi, Piedmont, to teach. There was one little catch. In Mondovi, he was to teach Cicero and Demosthenes. But Demosthenes was Greek, and Robert did not know any Greek. A man of lesser stature would have gone crying to his superiors. Instead, Robert decided he'd better learn Greek. So each evening, he studied the grammar lesson that he was to give in Greek the following day. In short order, he conquered the Greek language. Robert began to preach in the local cathedral. His sermons were so powerful, people came just to hear what the Lord was saying through the young Jesuit. His popularity came to the attention of his local provincial, who sent him to Padua to study theology. But in Padua, the same thing happened, only on a grander scale. Asked to preach every Sunday at the cathedral in Padua, he became one of the favorite preachers in Padua. Before Robert finished his studies in Padua, he came to the attention of St. Francis Borgia, who on a par with Ignatius himself had become Father General in 1565 when Father Lainez died. Inheriting the Protestant Reformation in full swing, he saw in Robert Bellarmine a potent force against those spreading Protestantism throughout Europe. So with less than two years in Padua, Robert was sent without having been ordained to the university in Louvain, Belgium, to get his degree in theology. Louvain ranked with the greatest universities in Europe. Father Borgia asked Robert to combat the heresies being taught by Michael Bayes, the uh, chancellor of the University of Louvain. Bayes was teaching errors on many subjects, including, but not limited to, original sin, fallen man, redemption, justification, and merit, and papal authority. His teachings had been condemned by Pope Pius V twice, in addition to having been censured by many universities and varied seats of learning, including the University of Paris and Cologne. We wonder if St. Francis Borgia knew at the time the far-reaching effects this would have on St. Robert Bellarmine and the Counter-Reformation. This would be but an introduction to future battles against those denying the truths of the Church. It was during the raging hotbed of the Protestant Reformation Luther had only died in 1546, Henry VIII the year after in 1547, Calvin had died in 1564, five years before this time, so their errors were being spread more rapidly than those of Bias. Robert Bellarmine was ordained in Ghent, Belgium in 1570 on the Feast of the Annunciation. He continued working at Louvain, and when the Jesuits opened their own school of theology at the university, Robert Bellarmine was made the first professor of theology there. He was a man devoted to furthering the truths of the church. Rather than attempt to come up with teachings of some modern school of theology, he taught according to the magisterium. And while Robert did not point a finger at Baius or Calvin or Luther or Henry VIII, 
in either an intellectual or spiritual vein, he succeeded in contradicting their philosophies with the works of a brilliant peer of his, one whose authority could not be questioned, Thomas Aquinas. He stayed on for seven years, during which time he did some of his most important work. He was a brilliant homilist. Though he was not tall and not really good-looking, he had such an aura about him that the people flocked to hear him speak. They said his face actually glowed when he spoke in defense of the church and for the glory of God. He had to stand on a stool, but that didn't keep the crowds from coming and, more importantly, from listening. During his tenure at Louvain, he wrote a book entitled Controversies, a short, concise, but very powerful apologetic on the teachings of the church in response to attacks from the Protestants. The full thrust to defend the church, most of it was based on scripture, church history, and the writings of the early church fathers. Although a simple book, it covered all aspects of our Catholic faith, especially in areas being disputed. It was the basis for a much larger work he did in later years. This textbook was so well done and so informative, priests began carrying it around in their pockets as a reference guide to use on the altar during masses or when they found themselves in need of defending the faith. Controversies, the book, became so popular that Catholic and Protestants who wanted to understand the truths of the Catholic Church read it. The University of Levin became the front line for defenses against heresies. The think tank for the great minds of the church was sent to formulate resistance measures against the enemy. It was an exciting opportunity for Robert Bellarmine, but as will be seen shortly, it was more for the church and God's army than for Robert that he spent those seven years in residence at Louvain. In 1576, the Pope called Robert back to Rome. He knew how to instill the teachings of the church into young students. Now it was time to do the same for the seminarians and priests in the Eternal City. He was put in charge of teaching controversial theology at the Roman College to English and German missionary students. Why would you think English and German students, and why on earth missionary? We have to but look at the times. This is the midst of the Protestant Reformation in Germany. It is also 40 years after Henry VIII began his attack on the Church of Rome. We had been weakened badly. We needed men with good, solid theological background to be missionaries in those countries. Many of them were to become martyrs for the faith as they set out to deal with theological controversies causing division in the church, mostly at this point, with the church in England and Germany. Robert Bellarmine was an active member of the Counter-Reformation, not only working tirelessly for the next 14 years in the Roman College, but doing battle against the ills which came about through the Reformation the rest of his life, which is why he, along with other powerful men of the church, were given the title Saints of the Counter-Reformation. Due to his unrelenting teaching, preaching, and debating, many came back to the Catholic Church. It was plain to see his arguments were too logical and too elegant to be anything other than dictated by the Holy Spirit. Papal power. 
By its very name, you have to know that this was a very touchy subject. As a natural outpouring of the Protestant Reformation, Luther attacked papal power, maintaining all power emanated from God, and as such, funneled down through the princes of countries, especially in Germany, not through the princes of the church. They insisted their temporal power was superior to the divine authority rendered to the vicar of Christ by Jesus himself. In addition, the princes had other uh, ulterior motives. They wanted to take away lands gifted to the papacy. Now, Calvin originally supported separation of church and state powers until he found himself in the position of possessing both. Then he was able to make the smooth transition from church leader as a minister in Geneva to dictatorial head of the state. Being a brilliant deceiver, he was able to mislead the people and heads of the state by proclaiming the function of civil government was to be simply preservation of the law. Then he demanded that the enforcement of religion and personal piety be based on his doctrines. Now here's where he double-talked. He said it was unlawful and immoral to be against the state unless the state violated God's will as defined by Calvin. Yet he insisted the Pope had no temporal power in Switzerland or actually wherever Calvin was able to proselytize. Henry VIII picked up on both of these philosophies when they suited his purpose. He maintained that he was the spiritual leader of Britain and that his laws superseded any other leader. Therefore, the Pope of Rome had no jurisdiction of any kind in England. Even the Archbishop of Canterbury, who became, in effect, the Patriarch, or English Pope, was subject to the throne. In France, the situation reached crisis proportions when Gallicanism was adopted. This gave the ruler of a country complete control over the Church, even to the point of appointing bishops, subject to only an off-handed informal approval by the Pope, which approval could then not be denied by the Pope. The prelates they appointed may not have been in the best interests of the Church. The situation was getting completely out of hand, with temporal rulers trying to maintain temporal and spiritual power over their countries. Help came from Robert Bellarmine, who upheld papal spiritual supremacy— but with the spread of Protestantism and basic anti-clericalism in various countries, the Pope's power steadily weakened over the centuries. However, the greatest death knell to papal power came not from outside the Church, but from within. The first blow was Frebianism, a theory penned by a German bishop under the pen name Frebronius, which maintained the Pope had illegally taken power and therefore had no more power than any bishop. Not only that, but no decrees, neither by a pope nor a council, had any legality in a country unless the ruler approved it. This was conveniently picked up by most German monarchs, and when an Austrian cleric adopted the same philosophy under the name Josephinism, it was a defeating blow to our dear popes. In 1598, Robert published a catechism, which also became an immediate success. It was translated into 62 languages and was still being used as late as the 19th century. 
All of Bellarmine's works were extremely popular. He spoke Jesus. He gave the people the truth. He was more accepted than all those theologians who were coming out with new forms of theology. Robert Bellarmine used scripture, Thomas Aquinas, and the magisterium of the church. In 1599, Robert Bellarmine was made a cardinal of the church, and a few years later in 1602, he was consecrated bishop of Capua, just north of Naples. For our saint, it was an opportunity to do something he had not really been able to do in all his priesthood, shepherd his flock. He spent his time in Capua as a true pastor, focusing on charity and reform. But it was common knowledge among the powers that be in Rome that there was much more for Robert Bellarmine to do than spend the rest of his days in a small diocese in southern Italy. That was soon to become apparent in the actions of the new Pope Paul V. He called Robert back to Rome in 1605 to serve as a defender of the faith. At Pope Paul V's request, he took over such offices as the Holy Office, held by Cardinal Ratzinger today, the Congregation of Holy Rites, the Propagation of the Faith, and many other important posts. Robert Bellarmine was the Don Quixote of the Revolution, a Reformation. He spent the rest of his life defending the Church. He truly rode his trusty steed against the windmills, the dragons, the powers of hell of his time. He was a hero in the true sense of the word, willing to give up his own life to preserve the values of the church. There were times when he thought he would not come out of a situation unscathed, but he fought with his last ounce of courage to dream the impossible dream. Robert Bellarmine plunged into sticky situations where angels feared to tread, where no one else was willing to take a stand, risk a reputation or a career. He cared not for rank nor reputation. He had already accomplished whatever fame the Lord wanted him to have. He only used his name to advance the teachings of the church and to defend her against her enemies who were within and without. Most of his enemies could not stand up against his brilliance and expertise in the fields of Counter-Reformation. He actually invented Counter-Reformation. When Cardinal Bellarmine entered into a situation, it was obvious to all concerned that he would deal with it from a true church perspective. He was fair, but in the final analysis, he was church, he was also a winner. The Pope chose Robert because he had no fear going up against kings, nobility, and the famous of his time from any country. He fought against Gallicanism in its French form and as it spread to its English equivalency as well. He countered the claim of King James I of England about the divine right of kings and the England, English oath of allegiance. You must remember that all of this was taking place after England began to enforce her act of supremacy, 1534, and the oath of allegiance of 1606 by torturing and killing her subjects in England, Scotland, and Wales, and of course in Ireland as well. In addition to these battles, he continued to defend the papacy against those who would deny the temporal authority of the Pope. There's something we have to consider when talking about Robert Bellarmine and his role in the counter-reformation of the church. He took a lot of criticism for standing up for the church. He had a lot more courage than many others in his position at that time. He came up against a situation the church had never experienced before. There were no rule books to tell him how to behave in a given situation. He wrote the rule book as he went along. When he first went to the Catholic University of Louvain and the Jesuits opened their school of theology, 
That was the beginning of controversial theology. It had not existed before Martin Luther and Calvin and Henry VIII began firing broadsides at the church. No one knew what to do. It was during Robert Bellamy's time that counterattacks to the offensives being hauled at the church were formulated. Another thing we must consider is that as a Jesuit, and a good Jesuit at that, his main goal was to protect the Pope. This was the vow that Ignatius of Loyola had taken in the name of all Jesuits at the very beginning, and Robert Bellamine was committed to keeping that vow. Popes had vacillated over the meaning and limitations of papal power before Robert Bellamine came out with a definitive statement on it. No matter what the popes may have said prior to the time he made this statement, whatever the present pope Sixtus V felt was in the best interest of the church, Robert Bellamine had his support. And he did with his life and reputation. Robert Bellamine was a very spiritual priest. Although he spent most of his time in duties regarding teachings of the church, he never allowed himself to stray from his spiritual life. He made at least one retreat a year at the beginning, only eight days, but as he became more mature in the Lord, he extended these retreats to 30 days. It was obvious that Robert was trying to separate himself from things of the world, even the world of the church, and concentrate on things of the soul. During his retreats, he wrote beautiful spiritual books entitled On the Ascent of the Mind to God in 1614, The Eternal Happiness of the Saints, 1615, and The Art of Dying Well, 1620. As with all his books, they became popular immediately and are considered spiritual reading to this day. One of Robert's greatest problems was that he was in such demand. As he got older, he desired to get back to his Jesuit roots. As a young Jesuit, he had not anticipated the type of work he would be doing for the glory of God. He most likely thought he would go to any one of a number of missions all over the world and teach and preach. Now that he was approaching 80 years old, he felt he would like to go back to a Jesuit novitiate anywhere, but preferably out of the light of the public eye, which he had occupied for most of his life. But he was too valuable to the Pope. He could not be allowed to retire. Even after Pope Paul V died in 1621, he asked the new Pope, Gregory XV, if he could be allowed to retire. He was really getting old, and his hearing was bad. This Pope told him he could not be spared. He was needed. And Robert said, yes, a weak and tired yes, but a yes nonetheless. However, the Pope did allow him to move into the Jesuit novitiate, where he had longed to relocate for many years. But his joy was short-lived. He moved in on August the 25th, 1621, and three days later he was attacked by a violent fever and died within three weeks on September the 17th, 1621. When it was obvious to all that he was on death's door, His Holiness came to visit Robert Bellamine, whom all considered a living saint. His brother cardinals surrounded him and signed him. They put their skull caps and crosses on his chest and prayed for his intercession when he arrived in heaven. There was no doubt in anyone's mind that he would be there very soon. Robert Bellamine was a very humble priest. He asked for a simple funeral, but the Pope felt it would have been an injustice not only to the memory of Cardinal Bellamine, who had been such an important part of the Church of the 16th and 17th centuries, but to those who would aspire to do the kind of work that Robert Bellamine had given his life to do. Our Pope knew that Bellamine had to be willing to give up his one luxury, 
that of an inconspicuous funeral for the possibility of inspiring another Robert Bellarmine who might be in school at this time or in the seminary or yet to be born. Saints beget saints. Our dear Pope knew that. He knew the church would need another Saint Robert Bellarmine. He just didn't know how soon. Robert Bellarmine had another request, a simple petition. It was given to him, but it took 300 years for him to have it fulfilled. He had been very close to St. Aloysius Gonzaga, a young Jesuit who died prematurely in 1591 when St. Robert Bellarmine was on sabbatical from the Roman College. He had kept in touch with all the students at the Roman College, of which Aloysius Gonzaga was one. Aloysius was a particularly special student with whom Robert would speak at length about the kingdom of God and things of a spiritual nature. He became Aloysius' spiritual director. He was with Aloysius when the young saint contracted the plague from a patient at Our Lady of Consolation Hospital in Rome. He had lifted a sick man out of his bed, which he should not have done, and contracted the dreaded disease. Aloysius was put to bed at the Roman College on March 3, 1591. Robert stayed with him the entire time of his infirmity. Aloysius was a frail, weak boy. He never recovered from the illness. He died three months later on June 21, 1591. While it's not known for sure, it is believed that Robert Bellarmine was with him on the night he died. Aloysius was buried in the church of St. Ignazio in Rome. Robert asked to be buried at the feet of the young saint. However, because of the prestige of Cardinal Bellarmine, it was determined more fitting that he be buried in a place more prestigious, in the official Jesuit church, the Jesu, in the chapel of Our Lady. But on May 13, 1923, on the occasion of his beatification, his body was removed and transferred to the church of San Ignacio, where he is buried next to St. Aloysius Gonzaga. We once said of uh, Thomas Aquinas, where are the Thomas Aquinases of today? We repeat that when speaking of St. Robert Bellarmine. We need Robert Bellarmines today. Where are the Robert Bellarmines of this century? Saints beget saints. Take St. Robert Bellarmine to your heart and head and very spirit and ask how you too can become a saint. Super Saints with Bob and Penny Lord is adapted especially for EWTN Radio from the book series of the same name. For more information, contact Journeys of Faith, Post Office Box 845, Moralton, Arkansas, 72110. You may also call them toll-free at 1-800-633-2484. Please join us again next week at this time for Super Saints on EWTN, Global Catholic Radio. Please load our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Here is how to download our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Simply, with your iPhone or Android device, go to the App Store, search for Bob and Penny Lord app, and download it. It's that simple. Here's what you can do with our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Number one, 
that there's a link to our marketplaces, our websites, uh, our uh, blog, and this podcast. The second link is to our Bob and Penny Lord TV channel, where you can access all of our videos as seen on EWTN, plus a whole lot more. Thank you very much.